faithwire.com. Four states plan to end mask mandates. Which states they are is the really surprising part. Today is Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. I'm Dan Andros. Love that top story and more on today's 4 and 3 podcast from CBN's Faithwire. And you can find us on iTunes. Subscribe over there. We're here every day, Monday through Friday. We'd love to have you join. Joining me, as usual, Trey Gones Phillips, Billy Hallowell from CBN's FaithWire.com. What's going on, guys? Happy Tuesday. The weekend is on the horizon. <laughs> you know, the way you tease that story, Dan, it sounds like it's the Freedom Lottery. Like, four states <laughs> are dropping their mandates. Which one are? Which ones are they, and do you live there? It's, it's like the Hunger Games. It's like the Hunger <laughs> Games, but it's like mass games. <laughs> yeah. District. Exactly. 12 district 12 <laughs> you guys are free of your mandates congratulations <laughs> oh, so i'm looking forward to hearing about that because yeah. uh, i'm sure it'll be interesting but um, i'm going to be talking about these inmates in connecticut prison inmates are demanding that they should have access to pornography uh big ask there um but the judge slapped them in the face not literally rhetorically <laughs> uh with a with a response to that um, and we're also going to be talking about Dr. Francis Collins. We sat down with him. He's the former head of the National Institutes of Health to talk about COVID and his legacy. All right. Looking forward to those. We're going to start here with mask mandates. Seeming like they're going to be coming to an end sooner than later. Trey, this goes back to what we were talking to yesterday about your observation yes. about how with with midterms looming. Huh. Huh. Well, see, I didn't watch oh, Game of Thrones, yeah. but that meme that went around all the time, winter is coming. I think <laughs> midterms are coming. Midterms are Paul coming. Revere on a horse yeah, yelling, midterms are coming. Midterms it are is. coming. So, so here's the interesting thing about the four states that have now said that they're going to be lifting their statewide mask mandate for schools. Um, yesterday, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Delaware said they were going to, and now Oregon. Uh, is going to be into the mix on that as well. Uh, and so all of those states run by Democratic governors, meaning, you know, obviously there are more of the more Democrats voting there in the state. Uh, and so this is particularly interesting uh, because of what ha- happened just a couple of weeks ago. And we'll get to that in just a second. But these loosening guidelines, according to NPR, are signs that the four states are changing how they manage the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Oregon health officials said yesterday that their end date's going to be March 31st. They said the evidence from Oregon and around the country is clear. Masks save lives by slowing the spread. And so I guess, I guess they don't want to save lives. That was a weird way that they announced that. Uh, but Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont uh, recommended uh, yesterday that the state end the statewide mask made it on February 28th. That's the earliest of the three states. And uh, once the mandate is lifted, uh, Lamont said it would be up to local leaders like the mayors or superintendents to make their own decisions on mask requirements. Now, this is all very interesting, guys, particularly uh, to me, because it was just a couple weeks ago when newly um, uh, elected Governor Yunkin uh, moved to get rid of these, you know, mask mandates in schools. That was one of the first things he did right when he got into office. And the reaction was swift. Uh, Jen Rubin said that so much for the silly narrative that Youngkin was some normal Republican. 
He's brought DeSantis anti-mask nuttery to Virginia. Now he's at war with several school districts, and he's only been office in a few days. This is what you get, Virginia. Best of luck. Um, <laughs> and then Jen Psaki, this was after um, one of the school districts, uh, or there was a lawsuit brought against the school district. Um, Jen Psaki tweeted from her personal account, Hi there, Arlington County parent here. Don't believe you are one, Glenn Youngkin, but correct me if I'm wrong. Thank you, APS Virginia, for standing up for our kids, teachers, and administrators and their safety in the midst of this transmissible variant. Joe Lockhart from CNN said, Republicans love to say Youngkin is the example of a new Republican. What he does, what, what does he do first? Encourages kids to go to school without a mask. Kids will die. See? Same old Republican. <clears throat> so, so there's the reaction that you have from the media, from politicians, from the from the White House, from the White House press secretary. That's all in middle of January, guys. That's only a couple of weeks ago. And now here you are with all of these other states. Now all these Democrat states are now falling in line and saying, hey, we're going to do it too. And Jen Psaki was asked about this and didn't really have much of an answer at all because when you just a couple of weeks ago make it sound like kids are going to die for not wearing masks, you and then all your fellow Democrats do the same thing, it kind of puts you in a tough spot. But what is the justification for all this? Well, according uh, to CNN's health pundit Leanna Wen. The science is changing, guys. So uh, here I wanted to play a couple of clips from a recent appearance that she had uh, where she's talking about this changing science. Do you agree with the move? I do. There was a and is a time and place for pandemic restrictions. But when they were put in, it was always with the understanding that they would be removed as soon as we can. And in this case, circumstances have changed. Case counts are declining. Also, the science has changed. We know that vaccines protect very well against Omicron, which is the dominant variant. Everyone five and older have widespread access to vaccines. And we also know about one way masking, the idea that even if other people are around, you are not wearing masks if you wear a high quality mask that also protects you the wearer too there's a remarkable turn right there suddenly <laughs> one way masking guys i'm going to take a time out from just going through the facts of the story here and ask a question one way mask isn't that what people were saying back in the early days of the pandemic when all the mask stuff was coming around wasn't it just hey how about you wear your mask if you want and then I'll but what does that even mean? Because I, it, what, what, like one person, you wear it if you think you're sick. Do you wear it if you want to wear it? I don't like that. Like, what is that? A one way street? I know what that is. What is a one way mask? Well, I I don't know if you're if this is in the other clip that you're going to play, Dan. Um, sorry if it is, but she says that a lot of it is about personal responsibility. She said the government has played its role, and now it's time for people to take personal responsibility for the decisions mm. they make. And I think that's what people have been saying for two years, and they were crazy yeah. for saying it. So. Yeah, yeah, and then that sort of stuff would get misinformation, but now you can just say the science has changed. Right, and which, you're, you're all clear. Yeah, which begs the question, too, by the way, if the science can be changed all the time, then why is science put up on this pedestal like it's a god that we need to follow, right? Like, maybe good suggestions, this is the best we know at this time. Here, do with it what you will. But it seems not right that you can 
uh, or it doesn't make sense anyway, that you could um, uh, use something that's ever changing and evolving all the time to disrupt people's lives across the country. Um, So, but uh, all right, yeah, I'll play this one other clip here. I'm not sure exactly if she gets to that part, Trey, here from Leanna Wen, though, talking about how these states now are going to are going to adopt these new get rid of the mask mandates. The key number that we should be looking at is hospitalizations. If our ICUs and hospitals in that particular region are not overwhelmed, if they're not over capacity, we can set a number, for example, 75% or 80% full, then we should be able to relax all restrictions. And I actually believe that we should be starting to, with the first restriction removed, should actually be the restriction on children. Because while for adults, you could say, well, what's the harm of adults masking when they go into a grocery store? There actually is a harm that we should be discussing of children continuing to mask. That doesn't mean that masking doesn't have its place for children when there are very high rates of hospitalization. If we get a new variant in the future that children are particularly susceptible to, we may want to bring masks back. But we should also be intellectually honest and say that masking has had a cost, especially the youngest learners, uh, people with English as a second language, children with disabilities, there has been a cost to them. So the risk-benefit calculation changed. Yeah, so there you go. So that all of a sudden now what again people have been saying for quite some time that why are we masking the kids this is damaging them in so many different ways especially for this long period of time now suddenly uh as the midterms loom as the midterm coming that uh that's an acceptable view now so why does it matter guys i mean obviously we're all having to live with various forms depending on where we are at and living of these mask mandates and a lot of people's kids are having to suffer through this stuff and uh, it appears that what some people have been saying about how this has been so politicized and so many of these decisions are based on politics rather than the actual science. Yeah, no, and, and I think that this just does further damage, right? God forbid there's another event that, that requires that we do trust, you know, quote unquote science. People are going to remember this. They're mm-hmm. not going to forget the way that this was handled. And in particular, when it comes to kids, I think, too, that, that both sides have to be fair and understand that the science changed. I don't think the issue, and I'm not speaking in particular about what she said here, over throughout this entire thing situations changed and that changed how science was going to respond because they learned more. We have to understand that and recognize that too. But a lot of these things that they're suddenly discovering that they're saying, Oh, these are problems. As you were saying, Dan, for two years, people have been talking about this. They've been warning about this, the social issues, the, I mean, mental issues that we're seeing unfold because of this. It's not a shock. What to me is the most shocking part is that they are suddenly discovering it and acting as though it's some sort of revelation that should amaze all of us when we've all known. I, th- I it's hard to to be like excited to see this shift, even though I'm glad it's happening. I'm glad that these restrictions are starting to uh, rely more on like the, the restrictions are going away because the government is saying a need to rely more on personal responsibility than government edicts, which is what so many have been saying for so long. Uh, But it's hard to see this and celebrate because for months now, for more than a year now, parents have been going to school board meetings to talk about this very stuff, about how their children with special needs are being negatively impacted by these kinds of restrictions, uh, how it's harming their social interaction with other kids, uh, how it's causing more problems and doing more harm than good, socially, physically, all that kind of stuff. And those parents were villainized by politicians and by the media as as just like fringe, crazy people 
um, who just wanted their 15 minutes of fame. Uh, and now Leanna Wen and politicians and pundits on TV are starting to say, we have to recognize we need to be intellectually honest and recognize that this is having negative impacts on children outside of COVID. It's like, yeah, because science is not the puzzle. Science is one piece of the puzzle. How we respond to this stuff is just one piece of the puzzle. It also has social, economic, uh, relational ramifications that so many have been ignoring. Uh, so, you know, it's good to see that they're not paying attention to it, even if the reason is just because the midterms are coming. But it's also frustrating at the same time. Can I add one more thing here? Because yeah. it, it has been interesting to me to watch. And I'm not saying there's some puppeteer at the top organizing all of these responses, but it is it is fascinating. We're talking about the midterms coming. One of the big things that happened in this country over the last month was the availability of at-home tests, right? And the government sending these at-home tests out, a couple of them to every family, every address, if you request them. And I found that interesting because I have no doubt that the rates of COVID are obviously going down. This variant seems much less severe. We know that things are getting better, but at the same time, if people are at home testing at a higher rate, which we assume they are, not only the free tests, but the fact that they're so available to buy, then my question is, if we're not counting those tests, are the case rates as low as everybody is saying they are? And what was the motivation to make all of these tests so available? It just makes you wonder. It's, it's sort of happening at an interesting time, and I'm not trying to be conspiratorial, but we may not actually have accurate numbers on what the cases are because when you test at home, if you don't get a PCR that's your only test and nobody's tracking that. I just, I find that just interesting in the narrative that's being created around all of this yeah, at the moment. Indeed. Well, either way, it's time to lock down the virus. So glad that's happening. <laughs> 15 <laughs> days. Right. Slow the spread. 15 okay. days guys. Hang in there. Yes. All right. <laughs> it's just a little longer. Um, all right. Story number two. So inmates in Connecticut uh, have been demanding access to pornography uh, and a judge has uh, has slapped them down for that. So, but I'll start uh, with the the backstory. So, in 2011, uh, Connecticut passed a uh, a policy that banned pornography from being able uh, from from inmates in prison from being able to access or or have um, pornography. And the argument at the time was it created a hostile work environment. Uh, so this case was brought uh, by uh, a former death row inmate who's now serving a life sentence for killing a police officer in 1992. His name is Richard Reynolds. Uh, he argued that he had never been accused of sexual wrongdoing while in prison, but was the never, but was nevertheless because of the ban. He was forced to get rid of like 60 um, pornographic magazines that he had, as well as 150 uh, inappropriate pictures. Uh, he was also disciplined for having a lingerie magazine uh, in his cell and then hiding it. Uh, so he argued that he was being um, wrongfully discriminated against uh, because of this ban. Like he should have access to uh, pornography if he wants to, because he's not a sexual offender and has not had any sexual incidents while in prison. So, but judge Joseph Bianco, uh, he wrote in his ruling late last week uh, that they will not be getting access to pornography. Uh, he said uh, that the, the rule that was phased in over a year, it was introduced in 2011 and phased in, um, by the end of 2012, he said is reasonably related to legitimate objectives, namely promoting a non-hostile work environment for the Department of Corrections staff, enhancing the safety and security of DOC facilities and facilitating the rehabilitation of sex offender inmates. Uh, and he said it passes constitutional muster. This was the most surprising fact, and it sort of is a microcosm that shows us just how dangerous uh, some of the side effects of pornography 
for anybody can be. Uh, so Bianca referenced this information. He said in 2012, correctional staff, this was right before uh, this rule was implemented. He said correctional staff issued 494 public indecency tickets to inmates. In 2018, after the ban had been obviously fully implemented over the last few years, he said the number of indent, uh, incidents dropped to just 79. So a lot of those incidents were uh, inmates exposing themselves uh, to other female, um, to to female correctional officers, uh, making, uh, you know, obviously inappropriate advances towards officers and other inmates. So all of that went from 494 uh, to just 79. Uh, Connecticut Attorney General William Tong praised the ruling from the judge uh, describing it as a victory for the safety of correctional officers. He said sexually explicit images are not allowed in any state workplace, and the prohibition against pornography was a lawful measure to protect the safety and rights of inmates and workers alike. Uh, his comments uh, last week actually echo comments that were offered last April when several female correctional officers testified in the case uh, about their experiences with inmates who were granted access to pornography prior to the ban. Uh, Claire Kendall, she represents uh, the DOC. Uh, she argued that female employees should not be subjected to seeing pornography in their places of work. She said in no other instance would, be, would we be arguing uh, if nudity and pornography should be present in a workplace. Uh, so the judge, I mean, the uh, attorney that was representing the inmates, uh, interestingly, uh, he did not comment on the ruling at all, but it argued last week uh, he was doing it on a pro bono uh, basis. He had been appointed, like I said. Um, he said that it was a First Amendment violation uh, for the inmates and they should have access uh, to pornography. Look, I think why it matters, you know, as on a larger scale is like what I was saying earlier is the microcosm. It shows you just the, the kinds of ramifications of pornography. Uh, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. Uh, obviously, they shouldn't, you know, have in my mind have access to pornography, particularly when they're working with um, or they're they're in a space with female correctional officers who are working with them. Um, so it's just a, it's an interesting story, though, isn't it? Yeah. Interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, I can't even believe, I mean, I, I don't even know, I, I'm I'm not even sure where to start, but I'm right. thinking about these prisoners who like somehow think they have, they a, have right a right to, to ask. Ask, ask for this stuff. <laughs> it's like, really? Really? And I mean, I love the point that I, I forget which person brought it up, but talking about how you would not allow any nudity or explicit material in any workplace. This is a government workplace. This is a, these are government yes. facilities. And you can't just have that out in the workplace. I mean, that's just, it would never be allowed. It'd never be a discussion anywhere, not even close. And so for them to even think like, you know what, <laughs> let's give it a shot here. I mean, it's, it's beyond, it's beyond ridiculous, but I'm glad they at least seem to have come to the right conclusion. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I, I don't have much more to add outside of what in the world. And it makes you wonder <laughs> what other things these people get that makes them think that even asking for this is appropriate, right? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you forfeit your right to, to yeah. privacy. There are so many things you forfeit <laughs> when you go to prison for good reason. Uh, and one of them is privacy. Uh, and so, yeah, you're you're <laughs> right. in a public workplace and you're working with female correctional officers. You are a lot of you, not all of you, but a lot of them are violent offenders. It's like you have the audacity to say, I should be able to access this especially when the judge can look at the records and you in in what way do you think you're going to win when the judge looks at the records and say oh, almost 500 incidents uh, of sexual misconduct by these yeah. inmates and then we well, eliminate pornography and down to 79 
Well, like, I it mean, seems like the numbers speak clearly everything, there. The, everything we've seen on pornography has shown that it causes people to escalate. They they desire yes. more. They desire crazier. So to somehow think, well, this is going to stave off any, you know, it's going to repress any sexual, you know, urges for them to harm any any people, any women, correctional officers and things of that nature. It, it's ridiculous. Uh, obviously, we, we know the facts that that doesn't work. And right. uh, and so... Yeah, just um, just uh, just an insane request. And again, glad that they're not going to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, right. speaking of in, speaking of insane requests, <laughs> I, uh, I had a chance to sit down and talk with Dr. Francis Collins, the former um, head of the National Institutes of Health. And it was really interesting. Obviously, for those who don't know, Francis Collins is Dr. Fauci's was he, he has retired from his role, but was Dr. Fauci's boss for the entirety of the pandemic. And so this is the guy who Fauci would answer to. And so we had a lot of questions, obviously, about his agency and how the NIH handled COVID. And one of the things that's very interesting about Francis Collins, and there's quite a bit of debate about this um, in terms of how he lives it out, is that he is a self-described evangelical Christian. He wrote a book in 2017 about his faith. Um, and so this is something that he has worked a lot on in terms of trying to bridge the, the gap between faith and science. And as a scientist and a person who claims to believe the Bible, believing that, that that's something he is called to do. Now, lots of interesting elements in this interview, which you can listen to and you can you know watch and read about over at Faithwire. Uh, but one of the most intriguing pieces was really just asking him, you know, what do you feel like could have been done better, essentially, when it comes to information? And this sort of came up in this conversation today, as we've covered these stories, he said, quote, we probably didn't do a good enough job early on of saying, here's the best recommendations we've got from what we now know, but they might change because we're learning about this virus every day. And then he said that recommendations did have to change as they learn more and that the virus changed and, and you know, so on and so forth. But his point, Francis Collins, was that they could have done a better job preparing people. And I think everybody could agree with this, regardless of where they are on the COVID spectrum, that, hey, what we're saying is not definitive right now. It probably will change because we're learning as we go. And so that was that was, to his credit, an interesting um, explanation of something he felt that his agency didn't do right. And that's an indictment of him, obviously, as yeah. well, right, as a person who is part of that. Um, but we talked a lot about the the difference between science and religion and why there's such a, um, a belief that the two can't really, you know, fit together. I think the most controversial part of the interview really is um, his commentary about the vaccine. And so, you know, he had a lot to say about um, white evangelicals and white Christians who have not gotten vaccinated. And that has been a point of contention and debate. Um, obviously, we've talked a lot about freedom on the show here on the podcast. And so he kind of got into that and said that the hardest part of his role was that he didn't expect that there'd be such a pushback. Now, obviously, anybody who's been paying attention to the Francis Collin discussion knows that there's a lot of debate around his perspectives and his viewpoints on a lot of different issues, not just COVID. And so we um, do cover that a little bit in our story, obviously, you know, recapping why people do have issues with him um, saying he's a Christian and then um, believing in fetal research, research embryonic research and um, he put out a pride statement last year that was pretty controversial. And you can read about all of those different elements, but you can also hear from him. I think it's important we hear from people, whether we agree with them or not, to understand 
okay, how did this work? What was it like to be in the center of it? And so I don't know what you guys think on that, but there were quite a bit of takeaways from that interview. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I did. I liked what he said too about the uh, about that what they could have done differently because I do think, mm. as we were talking about earlier in the podcast, the changing science. If they would have, I mean, you just think of how different things could have been if yeah. that message would have been because it was a complete opposite message. The message we got from the White House. And from the COVID teams were that we've got to follow the science. We have to just follow the science, you know, no matter what. And then you got berated if you didn't wear a mask. You have these people having tirades at Walmart and going viral online for yelling at people for not wearing a mask. <laughs> but if the message had been more, it was, if it had been more balanced, if it had been like just how he said it there, hey, this is the best we know at this time. So take this advice and do with it what you will. This is what we suggest. Yeah. And take it or leave it, you know, and um, if they would have done that, but instead they panicked and they got everyone fearful. And then then that that's led to just now this whole debacle that we're in with one side yelling at the other side. Yeah, it's interesting in retrospect to look back and say, and see so many people, whether it's Leanna Wen or if it's Francis Collins in this conversation with you, Billy, uh, kind of suggesting that there there were um some mistakes made or we could have handled our communication better but what's interesting to me is that it's in the admission is kind of uh, the the uh, another admission uh, which is that we were just kind of guessing along the way yeah. and nobody nobody's faulting them for doing that i mean everything it's it's you're practicing it's science it's not you know it's like practicing uh, you practice medicine you practice law you don't get it right all the time uh, so there you know but the the reality is, is that these guesses at how to best to handle uh, the situation turned into mandates and edicts that were just put on and yeah. forced on to people yeah. uh, and then now they can back them and say well we were just doing the best that we could and it was just a guess uh and it's like yeah but your <laughs> guess uh as as well-intentioned as it might have been had a whole lot of domino effect ramifications in a lot of different ways um so it was encouraging to see him in his conversation with you um say that he does worry about that he does see uh the legitimacy of some of that criticism and said it's important to practice scientific humility i think was the yeah. phrase that he used uh so there are some really good i think tidbits in y'all's conversation that are worth checking out yeah and i think too the the statements that he made about the vaccine are going to upset some people others will agree but one of the interesting elements and he believes this firmly whether and i know a lot of people won't believe it um is that when he saw the vaccine data in november of 2020 he felt like like this was an answer to prayer. He really viewed the vaccines as answering prayers that so many had and that they are life-saving. And he kind of went into all of that. And so, you know, his frustration over people not taking them. Uh, but again, you go back to that freedom issue. I think it's, it's a tough balance, but there's some intriguing elements, as you said, Trey. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, look, I mean, you know, the vaccine I think has been less you, know, you have that section of people who are just completely actually anti-vaccine. But I think most people are like, OK, like, you know, I can see how the vaccine has done well. It's it's, you know, lessened the extent, the severity of covid. It's really the mandates and the oppressive nature of governments, both federal and local, wanting to control every aspect of things that's really gotten people frustrated and, uh, you know, we're, we're going on, guys. This is two years now of this. Um, and 
I think people are sick of it. And uh, as you, as we've said, the mid midterms are coming. And so you're, yeah. you're going to start seeing the tone shift. I mean, we said it yesterday and then all this drops today. I mean, just literally two weeks ago, everyone, the media, the, the White House are making fun of Glenn Youngkin and saying he's going to kill kids. And now four states are doing the same thing that Glenn Youngkin did. And allegedly and, California okay, is right, eyeing, yes. allowing, you know, and that's another <laughs> Democratic Oh, it's like uh, the state, poster right? child of, of Democratic so, states. So. And, and there's rumors of New York. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen, but right. there'll be some announcements this week. Um, the other thing, too, just to mention here is that only about 20%, I looked the other day, it was about 20% of children, you know, between 5 and 11 are vaccinated right now, fully vaccinated. It was 18% when I looked earlier um, this month. And so you, you look at that too. I think there are a lot of questions about the drug companies and money that's being made and, you know, do kids really need it? So a lot of this is going to play itself out. Um, but I do think that's a piece that doesn't get spoken about. Like, is there anybody looking at these drug companies and being an advocate for the people of this country to make sure yeah. that they're actually producing things we need? Yeah. 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 There was a time guys that, uh, Big Pharma was actually a bad thing, not uh, right. It used you know, to be a villain. It, yeah, a villain in the in the media narrative. Now, not so not much. Not today. So, not today. So, all right. Well, for more, head on over if you want to check out Billy's entire interview with um, the former NIH director Francis Collins. You can go over to faithwire.com. Check that out. Also, head on over to cbnnews.com for more news from a Christian perspective. We'll be back here tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. God bless. <laughs>